Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We wrap up our narrative-based analysis across the NBA today with the five last teams, the bottom feeders of the Eastern Conference, the Bulls, the Knicks, the Pistons, Hawks, and the Cavaliers. Good morning, everybody. A happy Thursday to you. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. And if you've been listening over the last seven, question mark, <laughs> seven shows, we've been breaking down what teams did last year and what that means goal-wise for what they're likely to try to do this coming season, whenever the hell it may be, and what that means, of course, for your top fantasy picks from those teams. Those are the guys that make or break your team. A common misconception in fantasy is that you need to swing for the fences early. I've preached this time and time again, and I know we say, and, and it's accurate to say that there are a number of ways to skin a cat from a fantasy standpoint. You can do it a lot of different ways, but the one way that you can guarantee a fantasy loss is to biff an early pick. I've said it before, I'll say it a million times on this podcast. If you're an avid listener of Fantasy NBA Today, I hopefully you have now adopted this mantra, and the mantra is... A bad early pick will kill you. A good early pick will keep you fine. And the reason we phrase it like that is it it illustrates that the ROI on early picks, swinging on early picks, just isn't there. It's not. I mean, like, the best way I can think to describe it is to look at the first couple of rounds and think about times where people just got weird and think about whether or not it worked at all did anyone in the first round of your league last year do something that at the moment at the time you thought ooh, and then it actually worked i don't think so let's look at well you know we'll we'll use we'll use totals this year because you had guys playing eight games in the bubble that messed up their numbers you had guys missed 30 games that messed up their numbers so if you look at the totals this year the guys in the top 12 were Harden, AD, Dame, Jokic, Whiteside, Kawhi, Chris Paul, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, LeBron James, Rob Covington, and Rudy Gobert. A few of the names jump out at you. Hassan Whiteside, of course, he overperformed thanks to somewhat rehabilitated free throw shooting and having the starting job uh, the entire year, pre-bubble, basically. Um, Devin Booker jumps out at you because he played in 70 games, which is among the highest number of anybody in that grouping. So that worked out really well for him. Um, had a good year and then went bananas in the bubble. So that actually helped elevate him a little bit as well. Rob Covington, he's in there just because he's underrated. And Rudy Gobert, uh, it was actually a durability thing again. He played 68 games this season. 
Uh, and that got him into the top 12 by totals on the year, which, by the way, isn't entirely fair because uh, eight teams weren't invited to the bubble. So maybe it would be wise for us to just look at games through the end of March and see who actually made the top 12 there. By the way, the list is different. Uh, Booker falls out of the top 12. Gobert, Covington fall out of the top 12. And the rest of those guys, their names move around a little bit. It becomes Harden, AD, Jokic, Dame, um, Whiteside, Kawhi, Chris Paul, LeBron, who was kind of poor in the bubble, actually. Tatum, Trey Young is number 10. Uh, Bradley Beal and Bam Adebayo. That's your top 12 pre-bubble on a totals basis. So looking at those names, were any of those guys, guys that you thought were first-round reaches? No. Were any of those guys, guys you thought were second-round reaches? Maybe Trey Young. He was going mid-second round, and he ended up overperforming because he missed, what, three games? before the bubble. He had a really good year. Don't get me wrong. Trey Young was excellent this this past season. Now we're talking nine cat right now. Um, but a lot of his value is tied to the fact that he played 60 games and some of the guys with a better per game number didn't. You know, Bradley Beal, who was he was right behind him, three more games than Beal. But again, not not even really the point. Of all the names we just listed, the only guy that you could consider a swing in the first couple of rounds was Trey Young. The other interesting names in this first round list, Whiteside, Chris Paul, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, those guys were going third round or later. Chris Paul, generally the earliest among them, he was in that 30 to 40 range. Tatum was sort of in that area, maybe towards the, the, the tail end of that, and that Adebayo was maybe like about five picks later. And then Whiteside was down in the you know, 65 to 85 range. Look at the second round. Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert, Rob Covington, Giannis, Jimmy Butler, Andre Drummond, DeMar DeRozan, Vooch, Zach Levine, Brandon Ingram, Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris. Now the guys in that second round are guys where you thought, hmm, I really should take a chance early. The only thing that happens when you take a chance early is you end up with someone with an opportunity to flop. And the reason I'm going into detail on this particular, this particular theory is that we're analyzing now to see what teams are going to play their stars for next year, or to the best of our ability, try to analyze what teams are going to play their stars next year. We want guys that are going to log 90% of games or more. That's a target, I think, for us. 74 games or higher, basically. Is that fair? I think that's pretty fair. So you build your team in two ways. In the first round, you take guys that you expect will get you first-round value. You know, if, you're, if you have the seventh pick in the first round, eighth, ninth, tenth pick, whatever it is, your best move there is to try to get someone who's going to finish very close to that point. At pick 10, you shouldn't be thinking, hmm, I should be hunting the guy that could finish third. Because that guy, if he's still on the board, is probably there because of a risk factor. Try to pull up whatever it is off the top. I mean, you know, it was hard to know that Steph was going to have a, a fluke injury. Cat, I guess he was due. I don't know. It's a that's a that's a tough line to walk. 
But you could go farther down the list, and I'm sure you could find some examples of guys that were taken too soon because of that idea that, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll swing a little bit early here. We'll swing for the fences a little bit early. So we dive back in today with the Chicago Bulls. That's where we left off uh, final five teams. And there are some interesting storylines here. Again, this is a, a HoopBall presentation. HoopBall Tweets is the Twitter handle if you want to follow everything that comes out from HoopBall. Dan Bespris is how you can follow me. If you can spell my name, you can find me on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You guys know the drill at this point. Shout out once again to our guys over on the HoopBall Gaming Squad. Another great episode of the show out yesterday. Uh, Devin Ellington putting out a written piece last night. His college football midweek movers article is out. And please do head over to mybookie.ag and get down on those guys' selections. Their football picks are dominating right now. Dominating. Ira and Devin crushing it in football. Uh, Troy still got his soccer plays going. Got, went 2-0 and to start things off. I think two days ago, I didn't see how the picks finished up yesterday because I don't follow soccer. <laughs> uh, and then a new buddy, new friend of the program, John Ryan, who has some really, really interesting algorithms and sort of number models that he's been putting together. Cool, cool stuff over there at Hoopball Gaming. Please do check that out. I'm going to be ramming it down your throat here through the basketball offseason, at least until we start to ramp back into fantasy draft time here, which you know, could be as soon as like five or six weeks from now. If we find out free agency is December 1st and the season is MLK Day, we're we're staring down the barrel of a, of a short offseason, and that would be freaking awesome. God, I'd give anything for a short offseason. We've, we've gone so long without a truly fantasy-relevant basketball game. It's been since March 11th. We didn't even get the playoffs. I left so much money on the table because I didn't get a chance to go toe-to-toe with folks in my head-to-head league and finish up Roto Leagues where I was storming the front gates. Ah, man. What a pisser. All right, let's talk Chicago Bulls. So, uh, obviously, the big story out of Chicago is that Jim Boylan is gone. They revamped their front office. They revamped their coaching staff. Billy Donovan is in. A voice of reason in a sea of unreasonable in Chicago, uh, and a team that actually doesn't have that many ungainly contracts right now. Otto Porter has a player option for $28.5 million this coming year. I would assume he's going to opt in to that deal. Zach Levine is signed for a pretty reasonable 19.5 mil. Thad Young, 13 mil this year. Tomas Sadaransky, 10. And the rest of the team is generally young. Cristiano Felicio is making way too much money, $7.5 million, but... Kobe White, 5.5. Larry Markin, 6.7. Wendell Carter Jr., 5.5. Denzel Valentine and Chris Dunn are both free agents. I don't know where they're going to head. I would assume that Chris Dunn is going to be looking to probably go elsewhere after the experience he's had in Chicago, but you never know. Uh, Thad Young, Sadoransky, by the way, their their contracts are non-guaranteed for the following season, so the Bulls actually have even more salary cap space coming up. Uh, but we're, we're not going to look that far ahead. The point of Chicago is that this year was a, was a colossal disappointment. Again, they went 8-23 and on the road, which was among the worst road records in the NBA. They went an almost equally disgusting 14-20 and at home, and frankly, they were lucky that they had played more home games than road games at the time the season shut down, or their record actually could have been even worse. 
They were 22-43, and 43, 21 games under 500, and a team that I think coming into this year wants to make a scene. I think they want to cause a scene. I think they want to make a stink in the NBA. I don't think they have the skills and the players to really put a dent into things, but to look at that Bulls roster and say, this team can't compete with the middle-tier Eastern Conference teams is disingenuous. Zach Levine is good. Thad Young's a good veteran. I like Larry Markinen. Wendell Carter Jr. is a good young big man. Otto Porter, if healthy, is a really nice wing. They are, I mean, they, they're certainly as good as the Wizards. And I would argue they could potentially give the Magic a run for their money. Although Vooch, I think, you know, when you got the best player in the in the head-to-head competition, you're probably going to win more games than than the other guy. But the Bulls shouldn't have been even close to as bad as they have been, and you can put a lot of that on Boylan and injuries, and who knows if either of those things are actually tied into one another. But I, uh, I would love to load up on Bulls this year. I think they're going to be pushing hard. I think that they're going to be playing through more of the nagging stuff. I guess the question becomes then how much of this was them babying their guys and how much of it was, you know, legitimate injuries. Chicago's 65 regular season games. Remember, they didn't make the bubble. Zach Levine played in 60 of them, which, not bad. I mean, that's more than 90%. That's all you can hope for in the modern NBA. Sadoransky played in all 65. So did Kobe White. Um so Sato, thanks to that, actually had a totals value that was inside the top 85. Zach Levine was uh, number 21 by totals this year, thanks to his relative durability. By averages, Chris Dunn was actually their second best player, but of course he had a um, serious injury and made it through 51 games before he, and you know what kind of contract he gets because of the injury is also a, a big question mark. Larry Markinen played in 50 of their 65 games. That's not nearly enough. Wendell Carter Jr.'s uh, 43. Otto Porter, 14. But they have the pieces. And I think more than the injury stuff, and, and I know Otto Porter's been dealing with things on and off for a long time, more than... you, I don't know that, especially for guys like Markinen and Wendell Carter Jr., they're so young, it's hard to really say what's real and what's not. But I would... I'd be targeting Bulls. I think their new, I don't know that Billy Donovan is like the world's greatest fantasy head coach, but he's going to get guys who want to play. He's going to get them out on the floor. He's going to make proper coaching decisions. They're going to have schemes that make even a, a modicum of sense, and they're going to have a coach that they want to play for. That's That's more than anything the biggest deal. He could just come in and do nothing other than just be there and not be Jim Boylan, and guys are going to play harder. Zach Levine was number 41 on a per-game basis last year. I mean, I, I would think he actually takes a tiny step back because I think his usage is lower next year. You probably see higher usage for uh, guys like Kobe White. He'll probably see more activity, and he did towards the end of the regular season. If Otto Porter's healthy, he'll certainly be doing more Markin and I think will be doing more. He was very passive this year, and how much of that was injury it is not entirely clear. But unfortunately, while I do, I think Zach Levine was a, a great fantasy pick this year, both for his production and for the fact that he played in 60 games, I do think the arrow on him has to be slightly down 
if only because I don't know how he could possibly have a bigger job than he had this year, where all of the guys were just out. Everybody on that damn team that was willing to take a shot besides Zach Levine was hurt almost the whole damn year. Porter missed 50 games. Markin in 15. Wendell Carter Jr., 20. I mean, these are the guys outside of Kobe White that are actually going to take a shot. So I don't know that I'd expect Zach Levine to take 20 shots a game next year, maybe 18 and a half, but even a slight dip like that puts a dent into a guy's value when he's pretty heavily reliant on usage to get his numbers. So ever so slight downward arrow for Zach Levine, although I think he's still a pretty safe pick in that 40 to 50 range. You know, what's the worst that happens? He finishes near 60 instead of 50? That's not going to kill you. It's not what, you know, let's say you have like the last pick of the fourth round, you're picking at 48, he's still on the board. He's not a guy that you're going to pick at 48 and expect him to, to do what he did this year, which was play in most games at that very clip. But he could end up being a little bit Tobias Harris-like, but with more buzz. And that's the problem, is that you're going to get Tobias near 50 because everybody hates him, but he's just going to chug along and play 78, 79 games, you know, maybe four or five slots below the the spot you took him. You know, you might take him at 48, and he might finish at 55 per game, but play in 79 games. And that might be Zach Levine as well, where you might have to take him at 42 he might finish at like 55, but if he plays in 78 games, he'll end up actually beating his ADP by totals. But still, you know, if you have a pick at 45, I think I'd probably target someone who can beat that number on a per-game basis. And with all these guys coming back healthy and them likely changing schemes quite a bit, he's probably not that guy. I think Larry Markinen, he he's going to go late because he had a clunky year. Wendell Carter Jr., he's going to go late because he had a clunky year. These are all guys that you can take a flyer on in that, you know, with Markinen, maybe around 80. Wendell Carter Jr., you could probably get him towards the end of the top 100. Otto Porter, who, when he's healthy, his fantasy game is terrific. I mean, I'd be surprised if he went earlier than 60 or 70 this coming season. I think everybody hates him right now. There's a lot of good-looking stuff on the Chicago Bulls this coming year, and I would put them as a team that is going to push and pretty hard. So let's be about that. I'm glad we saved them for today. New York Knicks. Uh, Tibbs, 21-45 and 45 last year. They also have a brand new look this season. Of course, the difference between the New York Knicks and the Chicago Bulls is that the Bulls have some good players on their team. The Knicks have Julius Randle. And then, of course, we all love Mitchell Robinson. But, yeah. Um, Bobby Portis, a $16 million team option. I would assume they let that expire. He's definitely not worth that. Mo Harkless was a free agent, so he's going elsewhere. Taj Gibson has a $10 million team option. There's a very real chance that they decline that and then try to bring him back on a smaller number anyway. I don't know how if he'd be comfortable with that. Alfred Payton's $8 million contract was non-guaranteed, but they probably do go ahead and guarantee it because he was actually pretty good for them this year. R.J. Barrett, young guy, growing fantasy issues. Wayne Ellington, team option. They'll probably decline it. Nilakina, Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox. These All these young guys not making very much. And then Reggie Bullock, 
He's a $4.2 million non-guarantee. They might actually pick that up as well. Um, if they even let Bobby Portis's money come off the books, the Knicks actually would have a decent amount of salary cap space and so many holes to plug on this team. If we assume Mitchell Robinson's the starting center and Julius Randle is their starting power forward, you probably slot Peyton as the starting point guard and R.J. Barrett maybe at shooting guard. There is absolutely positively no clear small forward on this team. None. Um, I mean, can they throw Kevin Knox into that spot? He's been horrible. So we'll see. I think free agency will be interesting for the Knicks. They're going to be trying to do some stuff. Uh, they, you know, last year they brought in a bunch of veterans on one slash two year deals and then tried to move a bunch of them and didn't work out all that great. Uh, Tibbs is going to force people to play defense. Could that help anybody on this team? Well, tough to say. I mean, how much can you really change who Julius Randle is? He was number 138 this year, got off to a horrendous start, and actually played better as the season went on, largely because his field goal percent started to come back. Alfred Payton was number 126 on the year. He missed a ton of time, but does make sense as a late-round point guard fill-in type in your fantasy drafts. Um, for better or worse, there's really only one guy on the Knicks with a juicy fantasy game, and that's Mitchell Robinson who was probably overdrafted a bit this year. People expected insanity. And he still gave them top 50 per game numbers. Played in 61 games, so his totals ranking was 34, which is pretty good. 10.7 boards, a steal, and two blocks on 74% shooting. And I think that's headed up. I don't have a clue where Robinson's going in drafts right now. And obviously, 8 and 9 cat are going to be pretty different when it comes right down to it. Uh, but I would guess, based on this season, that people were more disappointed than they were appointed. I don't think... Hmm, I don't think people were happy with his production. And it wasn't bad. I just... I think people expected something eye-popping. And field goal percent, 74% shooting, is eye-popping, but nobody's paying attention to that. And low turnovers was a big part of his game, and two blocks was lower than people were hoping for. You know, they, they folks wanted 26, 27, 30 minutes and three and change blocks a game, and that just was never going to happen when they brought in 900 power forwards and centers. Remember this? I mean, they, they signed everyone they could find. They signed Morris's. They signed Gibson's. They signed Randall's. And Portis's. (laughs) So Mitchell Robinson's in there competing with four other centers, basically. And that's why he played 23 minutes a game. I could very easily see him getting up to 26 or 27 minutes a game this coming season if he irons out some of the issues in his game. If he can stay on the floor, those extra four or five minutes a game probably means an extra two to three points, probably an extra rebound or more, and probably you get him into that two-and-a-half block range. So Mitchell Robinson, to me... He's probably looking at a per-game value this coming season inside the top 40, and he was pretty durable this year. By totals, he could be a top 25 guy this coming season, and I think people are going to take him probably closer to 45 or 50. The Knicks, as a team, are going to play hard. Tibbs will not stand for anything less than that. So 
once you know who the starters are, go ahead and invest a little coin in them. Hopefully they don't get overdrafted. I don't think they will because a lot of these guys were horrific last year. I am not drafting R.J. Barrett almost under any circumstance. He was terrible at both percentages. He was pretty much terrible at everything this last year. And even if he makes a big step forward, that's still not going to be good enough. The the three guys you're eyeballing are Peyton, Randall, and Robinson. And I think Robinson, a potential value. Peyton, who the hell knows? You guys know I'm not a big fan of his game. Uh, but, you know, they were better when he was on the floor, for whatever that's worth. And then with Randall, nah. Nah. Sorry. Can't. I can't. I can't do it. Mitch Robinson's your Nick. That's the guy you're targeting. And that's with this team trying to win ballgames. You know, they're, they're going to be fighting. And still, I don't really want much to do with them. Detroit, 20-46. and 46. We just kept fading this team. Year after year after year, I kept fading this team. And finally, they made me look smart for doing it. <laughs> oh, it was about damn time, wasn't it? It was about damn time. Um, they're, an, they're a weird one for this coming year because... It sounds like a lot of folks in Detroit weren't super thrilled with the way things were handled, which, surprise, surprise, who's the coach out there? Who's the coach out there? Yeah, Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey, who held the Raptors back for a half decade. Look, you guys know, I don't... There are a few coaches out there that I think are uh, terrible. I don't think he's a terrible coach. But I do think that he's not good. I think that the rest of the coaches of the NBA gifted him whatever you know, the, the coaching award voted on by his peers when he was on his way out in Toronto. And the Raptors, like, they saw the writing on the wall. They had to change what they were doing offensively. They had to change the way that minutes were getting distributed. And so now, you know, he comes into Detroit, finally gives Christian Wood a chance to prove himself... It goes great. Probably took too long to get to that point, right? The whole make them earn it thing. That's not great if you're trying to uh, build young guys up for the future. If you're trying to win now, I get it. You can't, you can't just throw someone into the fire. But I mean, Don Maker was seeing a ton of minutes before Wood had a chance at them, and then it sounds like the Pistons revealed Christian Wood's COVID diagnosis without asking him first. So I don't know what the hell's going on out there. What I do know is that Blake Griffin's literally the only person <laughs> that this team has signed for any kind of time coming up. The Pistons are about to have financial flexibility like the Boston Red Sox can only dream of. Blake Griffin is set to make $37 million this year, 39 the following season. Um, but otherwise, you know, they got Tony Snell, who has a player option for 12 mil, and he'll take it. Derek Rose for seven, Luke Kennard for five, Sekou Dumbuya for three and a half, and then, you know, little piddling contracts for guys like Bruce Brown, Svi Mikhailiuk, Karai Thomas, Justin Patton. Uh, Brandon Knight came off the books, John Hansen came off the books, Langston Galloway off the books, Don Maker off the books, Christian Wood, Jordan McRae, all those guys are free agents for the Pistons. So we don't have a clue what this team is about to do this coming season. They have Blake Griffin, so they have to give the appearance that they care. But this is a team that should, if they want to start winning sooner, go into full lose mode. 
trade Derrick Rose, get whatever you can for him, uh, use Tony Snell's expiring contract in some harebrained fashion, try to sign Luke, Ken- try to extend Luke Kennard on something reasonable, let Sekou Dumbuya learn on the fly, Blake Griffin, you can just coast, take whatever days off you need this coming season, and then they'll probably spend a few bucks here and there just to, you know, give themselves, I don't know, a, any kind of competitive opportunity on a game-to-game basis. But you could really, like, the people the Pistons have signed right now, their starting lineup for next year would probably basically be the guys they have left on the roster. I would think that would be Derek Rose and uh, Bruce Brown, probably in the backcourt. I don't know. Is that enough floor spacing? Where's Luke Kennard? Is he shooting guard or small forward? Uh... Tough to say. Uh, they may just have to go small and play Luke Kennard at small forward, Tony Snell at power forward, and then Blake Griffin at center and go real small. You know the Pistons really want to bring Christian Wood back, so they should offer him whatever they can. Uh, and if they do, then he's looking at a, a beef-tacular year, but of course he'll get drafted as such. He's going to be a, a giant buzz guy if he's looking at a starting uh lineup spot and then you just go young with this team these are guys that you can pick up late in drafts I would not trust Derek Rose because he's probably going to get moved Luke Kennard should have as much opportunity as he can handle I don't think I'd draft Sekou Nubuya we saw he has I mean he's 19 it's going to be giant fantasy issues but uh, Bruce Brown has an interesting fantasy game so there's some guys on this Detroit team I think you could get pretty late in drafts that and it's not as though the team has to push or anything but these are guys you could probably draft what do we think? Luke Kennard, he'll probably go in the 90 to 115 range. Bruce Brown will probably go later than that. So it's not like you're risking anything. And those guys could conceivably, you know, you could see Kennard as a top 80 guy this coming season playing in, I don't know, 80% of the games. Bruce Brown, he could be in that same range. That's a great thing to get if you can get it at 110. That's a big win. Blake Griffin wouldn't touch him with a 100-foot pole. If he plays 65 games, I'll be floored. You know, he actually might play because he doesn't have to play that hard. He might manage to play in like 85% of their games because he doesn't have to go full bore. They're not going to be like, do you think Dwayne Casey's going to be getting on these guys to D up? Nah. Minutes per game will be down. But free agency will be really interesting with his Detroit team. That's something we got to keep a close watch on because who knows what they might be up to. The Atlanta Hawks. This is actually a fun one. Uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about this team because they have all these young guys that are just good and getting better, and no one is signed for a big contract right now. They're in a great spot. As currently, as bad current teams go, I think I would want to be Atlanta over almost any other one. Take the worst teams in the NBA. Cavs, Hawks, Pistons, Knicks, Bulls, Hornets, Wizards, Wolves in the Western Conference is probably the only one you can put in that same category. I would want to be the Hawks. The Hawks have only $59 million committed for this coming season. They basically have that committed for like the next three years. But uh, this most recent season, they had Jeff Teague's money come off the books. That's a big one. Um, DeAndre Bembry, Vince Carter, Scalabissier, Damian Jones, Travian Graham. A lot of those are small contracts, but right now you're looking at a team that has Trey Young, 
for this year and next year, they'll, I'm sure, offer him whatever he can, whatever they can to extend him. DeAndre Hunter is signed for three more years on his rookie contract. Kevin Herter a couple more years. John Collins, he'll be due for an extension after this coming season. Clint Capella is sort of their one money man right now. He's making $17.5 million this year, and that'll be a really interesting guy for them to throw into the mix. Dwayne Dedman's making $13 million, and they'll, I'm sure... I think that actually, you know what? I think they'll probably be happy to use him as their backup center. He can he can sport uh, floor space a little bit better than Capella. He's not going to play enough minutes to be fantasy relevant, but he's a good backup five. And then John Collins, that allows John Collins to play more at the four. Uh, they can move him around if they want to go small. They could just give Deadman a, a night off. Uh, Cam Reddish, this is a really interesting team. And they are going to push, make no mistake. But of course, that does create some log jams. Because, as we talked about this last year, uh, Reddish, Hunter, and Herter, those three guys were sort of siphoning from one another. And with Capella now in town, a legitimate starting five, you only have two open spots to play those guys. So they can't even all be on the floor at the same time. Well, they can, but they won't be, at least with the starting unit. The starting five for uh, Atlanta is going to have Trey Young, Clint Capella, and John Collins in it. It just will. So then you're looking at the other two spots, and who do you pick? Two out of those three. Reddish, Hunter, and Herder. Who's out? Probably, if I had to guess, it would probably be DeAndre Hunter. But it might be Cam Reddish because he can create, and maybe he'd be the guy to run the second unit. We saw Kevin Herter actually play a little bit of point forward this last year. He could be the guy to run the second unit. The Hawks will have some choices, but those are good choices from a team standpoint. From a fantasy standpoint, makes it damn hard to draft any one of those three guys. If you were to draft any one of those three, it would probably be Cam Reddish. Because by the end of the year, he was the Hawk who looked like he had the clearest path to putting up fantasy value. Where he was able to do... He was able to capitalize in categories that some of the other guys could not. And if you look at the entire season, obviously Kevin Herter is the guy that he was the the sort of winner in that story. But you got to look really at like the last month and a half of the season when they started to pivot what they were doing and Reddish ended up as a top 100 guy. Herter was a top 100 guy as well, but he was playing 37 minutes a game in that stretch. And the only reason he really made it was because he had five assists a game. Uh, we saw Reddish. He was at 15 points, two threes, um, 1.8 defensive stats, good percentages. To me, he was the guy trending up in that group. DeAndre Hunter still has some issues with his fantasy game. Uh, Herter is just your... To me, there's, there's just such limited upside now with Trey Young healthy, with uh, Herter probably running the second unit. The only... Uh, I don't see that's the thing is Reddish or Herter going to run the second unit. That's what I want to know with this team. They don't have a backup point guard anymore. I don't know. Is Brandon Goodwin still on contract? Don't think he's going to be seeing a ton of playing time. Still, uh, I think you can you can put a little knock on John Collins. He's probably not going to rebound as well with Clint Capella around, but overall, I think he's still going to have a really nice year. Capella's probably going to be a guy who falls too far. I'm going to I'm going to be scooping up so much Clint Capella this year. Holy smokes. I don't like that just kind of occurred to me as we were talking about this. I am going to be 
going buck wild with Clint Capella's. No one's going to be drafting that guy at all. I, I bet you he goes close to 50. I bet you he goes close to 50. Wouldn't you think? Mm. Oh, my. Yeah, I, I just started salivating live on air. Clint Capella was number 23 on a per-game basis this year before he got hurt. He's always inside the top 25. Giant field goal percent, good steals, good blocks, big rebounds. Trey Young's going to be setting him up like crazy. Run the floor, hammer it down. And he's, you know, the issue is can he stay healthy for a whole year? But honestly, if you get him in the end of the fourth round, beginning of the fifth round, and he plays 80% of his games, he'll hit his mark there. It's kind of like the Chris Paul phenomenon for this year when we were like, look, we'll take him at 35, and he only needs to play 60 games <laughs> to hit his ADP. That's, that's going to be the case with Clint Capella. You get him at 50, he really is only going to need to play about 64 games to hit his ADP. Anything over that, and he'll crush it. Trey Young, he's going to go real early. So while I'd love to pick him up in leagues, I can't imagine he's ever going to fall far enough for me to do so. Not that I wouldn't want to root for him to put up these eye-popping, uh, crazy you know, points, assists, threes, free throw percent. These numbers are, are you know, carry-a-team-level stuff. If you can take the turnovers, uh, you know, he's going to go, he's going to go inside the top 15, I think almost no matter what the settings are on your league. And, you know, for that reason, probably goes earlier than that, by the way, I, I, he probably goes inside the top 10 and I just, I can't take him inside the top 10. I can't do it. John Collins, I thought actually would have been a steal before he went crazy the second half of this season also. So uh, that one, to me, I'm not really sure where he's going. Probably middle of the second round. Um, Yeah, I mean, he'd be relatively safe there. He's probably not going to underperform that mark too much, but also there isn't almost any headroom for him there. And finally, the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll wrap it up uh, with a trip to Cleveland, uh, another young team. And honestly, you know, they're not in as horrible a shape as folks might try to convince you they do have too much money tied up in Kevin Love Andre Drummond has already opted out so do we know if they're going to bring him back if they don't that takes 28 mil off the books for him so they would have some salary cap space Larry Nance is making 11 million for about the next three years in a row so he and Kevin Love are kind of the 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 contracts right now and then it's the young guys Dante Exum somehow is making $9.5 million, but Darius Garland, he's on his first deal. Colin Sexton, Jetty Osmond signed an extension, but not particularly expensive. Um, Ante Zizic and Matthew Delavidova and Tristan Thompson all coming off the books this year, so that, that frees up about $30 million as well. Throw that with Drummond, and they've got almost 60 mil coming off the books between this last year and this one. So this is an opportunity now for this team to really lean into the youth stuff. Um... Finally getting Tristan Thompson out of the way is, is a huge deal for those of us, <clears throat> I say again, <clears throat> who have been looking for a Larry Nance mega surge year for some time now. As it stands this moment, Larry Nance is probably their starting center. Unless they go Kevin Love at center, even still, Nance picks up more than enough backup center and power forward minutes to be huge now if they bring Andre Drummond back it does change things substantially and I gotta think that they wanted to after making that trade but no one's paying Andre what he wanted and so we'll have to kind of wait and see on that front 
Uh, in terms of the other, the the smaller guys on the roster, you know, the big men were just we're really watching to see if Drummond sticks around. In terms of the little dudes, Colin Sexton actually did turn a corner this year. I got to give the kid credit. I was dodging him in in almost every instance. He actually got dropped in a league or two because he was so bad at everything other than scoring. And then he made a big push in field goal percent. He started to hit a few threes. His free throw percent became a nice positive. Uh, and he finished the year performing at, you know, he, he over the entire season, he was number 110 on a per-game basis. He played in all 65 of their games, so I, I'm actually just going to ignore totals for now. But if you look at what he did basically after the turn of the year, and that's not a, I'm not picking that day for anything in particular. It's just sort of uh, an interesting mid-season marker. He was top 65 after that point. Percentages being a big factor. In, in what allowed him to become a positive fantasy asset. Chetty Osmond, I don't think he's ever going to be a fantasy guy. I don't know how many times these, these sites have to try to tell me that he's someone to keep an eye on. Darius Garland does have some upside potential. Uh, he led the team in assists after January 1st last year, but horrible field goal percent on pretty good volume and no defensive stats. He's going to need to fix one of those, and he's probably going to get drafted in leagues. Um so if you're thinking about taking a chance on him, I don't think I'd do it earlier than about the, the 11th or 12th round of your draft. He's got to be a very late grab. Uh, I would much rather spend a slightly earlier pick on Colin Sexton now. I, I think he's actually going to be a tiny bit undervalued going into the season. And then, um, you know, with Kevin Love, this is not a team that's going to be pushing. So I'd be really careful there. Larry Nance, I think, is going to want to play. He just He's going to want to be out there. And in 30 minutes, he's a top 50 guy. Will he get 30 minutes? I don't know, but still, I mean, that to me, that's an easy selection, and we'll we'll wait and find out on Andre Drummond. So I would, demo- I would demote, I would put a little check minus next to the veteran, the true old goats on that Cavaliers team, and Kevin Love is really the only one. He's the only one. He's 32. Um, nobody else that's expected to play big minutes on that team this year is older than 28. And that's Alfonso McKinney, who I don't think is going to play even medium minutes. Larry Nance, 27. If Drummond resigns, he would also be 27. And then uh, Garland, 20. Sexton, 21. Osmond, 25. You get the idea. Kevin Porter Jr., 20. Almost forgot to mention him. Uh, he would also be a guy to, to keep one eye on. But like the rest of these guys, there are gaping holes in the young men's fantasy game. Am I willing to take a flyer on that when there are other guys that are going to be easier easier grabs? It, it depends a little bit on where they go. If I would have to take someone like that near 110, I'm not touching him. But if he's falling to like 140, 150, which is really the end of most fantasy drafts between 140 and 180, yeah, you could do it. See what his role looks like the first week or two and then cast him into the ocean if it's not big enough. But there is, you know, once you get into that 130 range, you're really just hunting upside only. Someone set to play a ton of minutes usually is what you're looking at that maybe hasn't been scooped up yet. And that's the assessment. That's that's it. What That's all 30 teams. That's what they did last year. That's what we expect them to do going into this coming season. Again, whenever the heck it might be. And how you should utilize that knowledge to either draft or not draft their the early picks from these clubs. It doesn't Like I said, it doesn't really matter with the later guys. It doesn't. I mean, you're, you're taking chances at that point. But we just don't want to screw up the early picks in our drafts. 
Please do, by the way, check out manscaped.com. Really need you guys doing stuff uh, for us over there. Get the Lawnmower 3.0. Coupon code is HoopBall20. That's 20% off and free shipping on your order from manscaped.com. Got to move a couple more units here the next week and a half, and then we can get that contract extended. That would be great for us here at Fantasy NBA Today. So with your assistance, we can get to that point. Get yourself a lawnmower 3.0, get yourself a nail kit, whatever it happens to be. They've got it. Manscaped.com, coupon code HOOPBALL20, all one word. You enter that at checkout. Make sure you do it. Get your 20% off in free shipping. Do not forget the coupon code because uh, you can save yourself a bunch of money. And it's important they know who sent you. It's us. It's your friend Dan here at Fantasy NBA Today and the, uh, the HOOPBALL HQ. I am Dan Vasperis. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be talking to my good buddy and possible cousin, <laughs> Josh Minow. We're not related. Uh, Josh Millman will be on the show tomorrow. We're actually going to be breaking down the Eastern Conference and what he thinks might shake out uh, kind of going forward, not necessarily from a fantasy standpoint, but what teams are headed which direction and what to expect from, uh, from all 15 of those clubs in a whirlwind affair. That's the Friday episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a great Thursday. Uh, enjoy the break from World Series tonight. 1-1. You know I'm stressing. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.